I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. On this episode of Newt's World, I regard the Heritage Foundation as the nation's premier conservative think tank. They have more than 500,000 members, and they focus on public policy. I've worked with Heritage Foundation off and on since the mid-1970s when it was created by Ed Fulner, and I can tell you that their impact has been enormous. In fact, sitting on my desk is a copy of Mandate for Change, which is the massive book they put together for Ronald Reagan, which outlined with some 250 contributors how you could take over and begin to move the Jimmy Carter government towards a more conservative base. So it's very important how the Heritage Foundation is developed, the way it's focused, and what it's trying to achieve. And they have brought in a new leader, Kevin Roberts, somebody who has a remarkable background in leading public policy development as the chief executive officer of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is, I think, without a doubt, the most effective and most powerful of the state-level conservative policy operations in the entire country. Kevin, thank you for joining me. Newt, thanks so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. I was really intrigued when you and I chatted on the phone the other day with how much you are dedicated to helping get America back on the right track. So you really have a background that's interesting. We both have PhDs in history. His PhD is in American history from the University of Texas. My PhD is in European history from Tulane University. We can 
be rivals academically, although in terms of football, there's no hope for Tulane. My question would be, you taught and then you left the university to found John Paul the Great Academy, which is a co-ed K-12 Catholic liberal arts school in Lafayette, Louisiana. What drew you to do that? Well, two things, Newt. The first was my dissatisfaction with the university, not just the specific one where I was, although filled with good people, but the academy writ large, that really American universities have become multiversities. What I mean by that is they no longer are dedicated to the unity, the cohesiveness of knowledge that honors each of the academic disciplines. Instead, they've just become projects that have resulted in identity politics. So there was that push out of the university. By the way, I wasn't surprised by that. The University of Texas trained me well, but it certainly isn't a right of center place. But the second thing is something that I think you and I connected on when we spoke on the phone too, and that was relating to my Catholic faith. I grew up in a culturally Catholic place, Louisiana. I took a lot for granted. On the day John Paul II died, I had what Catholics call a reversion to the faith, where my wife and I together became much more serious about being witnesses to hope as John Paul II would say. And so we made that switch. It is the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life, also the most difficult. And so when people say, Kevin, you know, leading the Heritage Foundation is a great opportunity, but it's fraught with many challenges. It's gonna be the hardest job you've ever had. I would say, no, the hardest job I ever had was starting a K through 12 Catholic school. Well, it's doubly interesting for us because as you know, Clist and I did a movie, Nine Days That Changed the World, about John Paul II going back to Poland and the impact he had in shaking the Soviet system to its very roots. But now, after you've created this, you then, seven years later, move on from there to become president of Wyoming Catholic College. What drew you to that change and to moving from Louisiana all the way out to Wyoming? Once again, the Holy Spirit, Newt, the non-sectarian way of putting that Wyoming Catholic College was and remains the newest Catholic college in the country. Non-Catholic listeners would also be aware that most of the Catholic colleges in this country, however great academically they are, really are no longer focused on their Catholic identity. And so what drew me there was this robust, vibrant Catholic identity that paired the great books with another passion of mine, which is outdoor life. And so at Wyoming Catholic, students then and now are taught a year of horsemanship. When I was president, we also taught them hunter safety certification. As I like to say, then and now, we put the Wyoming and Wyoming Catholic College, and there was just something about the wedding of those great goods. You know, Aristotle understood this well. In modern American life, reacting against some of the worst trends in American culture that made that an exhilarating job, and the fact that President Obama and Vice President Biden made it more difficult for us to be a Catholic college with their contraceptive mandate, with their federal student loans and grants, also wet my whistle for policy and political work. Having helped develop that, you then moved to Austin to become CEO of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is an organization that under Brooke Rollins had really done an amazing job. And I had worked with the foundation for years. I think it really is the most effective state-level conservative foundation in the country. What drew you back to Austin? What drew me to Austin was that, you know, I'd been educated there while my wife and I are Louisiana natives. We're adopted Texans, and Central Texas is home. It's what our kids up to this year have considered home. Northern Virginia will be that place in early January. But most importantly, on the professional side, 
Texas Public Policy Foundation punched above its weight. What I mean by that is it didn't merely decide that it was going to affect Texas state laws. You know, I think you came to know TPPF through its work on conservative criminal justice reform, which got scaled state after state. And then ultimately, we became focused not just in that issue area, but others, including immigration and higher ed and healthcare, on federal policy. And so what I loved about Texas public policy was its just inherent passion for restoring federalism, which for us, I remain on the board there, starts with excellent reform at the state level that can then be scaled up to the federal level. And as you know better than anyone, our friends or members of Congress really appreciate it when those ideas are coming from the states because it makes that action on, say, entitlement reform, on higher ed, on healthcare, et cetera, a little bit easier. Well, actually, my own experience was that we were able to do welfare reform precisely because we could draw on success stories in Michigan, Wisconsin, Virginia. And as a result, we were able to shape a federal law that ultimately became, I think, the most successful conservative reform in my lifetime and had a huge impact on helping people go back to work on bringing children out of poverty by increasing the income of their families and in changing the trajectory from dependence back towards independence. Now, you recently wrote, I thought this was a very important transition for you from your Texas focus. You recently wrote about tomorrow's heritage. Tell us what your thought process was, and we're going to link to this article on our show page because I think it's a very important introduction to you, to people around the country, to see how your mind works. But tell me what led you to that. Thanks for that question. You know, the rationale behind that piece about tomorrow's heritage was that people in the state-based part of the conservative movement know me well. They know how my mind works for better and for worse. But folks at the federal level on a national scale don't. And so as I was sitting down with my colleagues at Heritage, we realized that while I never want this to be about me, I'm doing my job well when I'm providing a platform for our scholars, that for Heritage's sake, for the sake of the conservative movement, people needed to know who I am. And so that was the rationale. But there were three key points that I wanted to convey in that piece, Newt. The first is that People need to understand that, of course, we're at a crossroads in a country, we're at a crossroads in the conservative movement. And for the last half century, heritage has been referred to as the mothership of the conservative movement. I don't say that with any arrogance. I say that actually in humility on behalf of heritage. But I am an energetic guy. I'm an academic at my core, but I've started a school, sort of restarted the college. And I've told people, we're going to put rocket boosters on the mothership. By that, I mean, you're going to see, and this is no complaint about my predecessors who are all great people, but you're going to see heritage respond to this moment in American history and politics with great energy, great momentum. And as I told our staff, the very first meeting I had on my first day three weeks ago, I said, guys, every single day, we're going to be on offense. That doesn't mean we're going to be offensive. It's not our job to be insulting. We're going to be cheerful, but we're going to be on offense in restoring the institutions in this country. But the second point I made is one of the ways we're going to do that, and it goes back to your comment about the welfare reform in the 90s, is that heritage is going to be more active at the state level. That doesn't mean we will ever stop being sort of the headquarters for the conservative movement in D.C., but what it does mean is that we understand the best, most effective process for conservative policy reform in Congress originating in the states. Not a surprise for this guy. 
who spent his time in Louisiana, Wyoming, and Texas. But I can tell you, as you know, that reflects where the movement is. I mean, the movement is very skeptical about D.C. with good reason. But the third thing that I wanted to convey, and this really came from the heart, is I can be intemperate as the rest of us can when it comes to speaking about policy and politics. Hopefully those moments are rare. But I wanted to encourage all of our friends in the center-right movement to stop shooting at one another rhetorically. That I don't mind the disagreement. In fact, I rather like it. And I will give as good as I get on behalf of Heritage. But the point is, let's be sure that Heritage is facilitating that conversation as it was doing in the days under Ed Fulner's great leadership. And I will tell you, just to sum up here, Newt, that I have been really impressed by almost everyone who read that. They have differences of opinion with certain positions Heritage has taken that they have responded to that and said, Kevin, we look forward to that. This is something that we've really gotten excited about. And so I've been on post for a few weeks. My family and I will be up there full time soon. I really look forward formally and informally to facilitating those conversations and hopefully making the movement less fractured so that we can answer the moment that's coming in 22 and 24 and beyond. Well, I think your approach is really, really important because they believe that Washington is more important than the whole rest of the country. And so they get up every morning, and whether it's the news media or the politicians or the lobbyists, you name it, they're all fixated on this tiny little part of America. And that makes them amazingly petty. And I think one of the initial roles I'm hoping that you will take Heritage on a great mission, which is when we win control, and I think we will win control of both the House and Senate in 22, It is, I think, extraordinarily important that 90% of the effort go into solving the country's problems and 10% go into partisanship. And the tension in Washington will be just the opposite. There will be this whole payback attitude of now we're going to get to investigate and we're going to get to focus on these things. And none of those are going to solve the country's problems. And I think we have to have a heritage which plants a flag for America, and not for Republicans, not for petty politics, not for, you know, gotcha, but rather we have enormous challenges if we're going to compete with China successfully, and we have enormous challenges if we're going to truly make the opportunity to pursue happiness apply to every single American. And I think we need precisely the kind of revitalized heritage you're talking about. I remember working with Fulner in the early years of Heritage when it was in a small building. We would have lunch on a regular basis. And it would have been absurd to have suggested that Heritage was somehow going to change history. But because of visionary leadership, Heritage changed history. And I think you are being called to the same opportunity, and that is to spend 22 creating an agenda, if you will, for the House and Senate that relates to what's going on in the states and that actually moves us towards very bold, very dramatic reform proposals in which there are 10 or 12 proposals comparable to what we did with welfare reform. So I'm delighted that you're taking this approach. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This month, the Heritage Foundation filed an application with the U.S. Supreme Court to delay implementation of the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandate on private employers. Can you explain to us a little bit about the case and why Heritage decided it was important to file it? Absolutely. And it fits within this framework you just articulated about Heritage, not just gravitating toward, but leading, articulating the rationale behind transcendent reform, policy ideas that transcend the partisanship of the moment that we're in. And so our lawsuit against the vaccine mandate is part of that strategy. Now, it's important for Heritage to proceed with this lawsuit just inherently. By that, I mean the unconstitutional mandate by OSHA, and by that, I mean OSHA does not have the authority to issue this, would violate the sacrosanct relationship between employer and employee. Just to take that all the way down to the sidewalk level, Newt, what that means is on January 4th, if there isn't legal action that stops it, I will be required as the president of the Heritage Foundation to ask employees about private health data that I believe as an employer, I do not have a right to. And I happen to believe that it is not only illegal, it's also immoral for any employer to be asking that question. And so if we had not proceeded with this lawsuit, then Heritage would have relied on other very good lawsuits with very good plaintiffs. Let me make this second point because there would be no reason for your listeners to know this. Heritage has never filed a lawsuit like this. We're very well known in the movement for the great work of our Mies Legal Center colleagues. They work behind the scenes. Now, we don't ever get specific about this, but I can assure you that every month we are prepping 
center-right attorneys for hearings that they're having at the Supreme Court and other legal settings. We always want that to be you know, sort of confidential. But in this case, Heritage decided, and I was encouraging our board to do this before my first day, to file this lawsuit because this is not something that I believe I could comply with as a leader. And the reason I know that is because of the philosophy and the morality that undergirds our movement. But what I think is going to happen is, as talking to our lead counsel yesterday, Jay Seculo, at ACLJ, that maybe by December 30th or 31st, we might get movement by the Supreme Court. It's really important that that happen, because if it doesn't, this mandate goes into effect January 4th. And if I or other CEOs decide not to comply, the financial penalties are staggering. And even though Heritage is in an enviable and excellent financial position, it's the kind of thing that month after month, year after year, could be devastating. I think that kind of leadership is exactly what we need. Now, the other big immediate topic is the January 6th committee, and you strongly supported Mark Meadows in his position. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the whole January 6th committee process? Yes, I find it abhorrent. And, you know, I'm not prone to hyperbole. I mean that word when I say it. And I really come at that as a historian, but also just as an American guy who believes that this process, if let's say our side were doing this to a Democrat chief of staff, I would find it equally abhorrent. This is not something that the legislative branch should be doing. We have a judicial branch for that purpose. The second thing is that and this was really key for me, Newt, and, and my deciding that I wanted to issue such a, a strong statement about it. If that happens to Mark, that could happen to any of us. And I don't want that to happen to you or me. I also don't want it to happen to folks left of center. I mean, this is not a partisan statement. This is a statement about the rule of law. It's also a statement about getting behind us this period of political toxicity which really is eating away at the fabric that holds America together. And I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that the tremendous pressure that has been exerted on that ridiculous commission will eventually maim it and we can move on. Frankly, I'm appalled as a historian because this is precisely the kind of abuse of power that the founding fathers worried about, having watched the British king and the British government abuse power and the whole notion of this committee and the way it's been stacked, the way it's pursued things, and the fact that other very large activities, I mean, riots, people getting killed, buildings being burned, all those things sort of didn't exist because there's this conspiracy between the news media and the left to reshape our understanding of history based on their terms, which are, I think, both profoundly false and dangerously undermine our civil liberties. And I'm really amazed watching, for example, the American Civil Liberties Union, which I think violates its core reason for being on a daily basis now by being a shell for the left. I should say, by the way, you know, we've had Hans von Spakovsky, who is Heritage's election integrity expert, on the podcast twice now, most recently to promote his book, Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. And I understand that Heritage continues to be deeply involved with an election integrity scorecard. From your perspective, how important is election integrity and how much will Heritage play a role in trying to ensure that we have elections that we can believe in? If 
we don't get elections right in the United States, then all of the work that we're doing is for naught. And I want to put a little bit of context on that. I'm very concerned about what happened in the 2020 election. By that, I mean the process at the state, county, and precinct level of how votes were counted. And of course, like everyone, I had a dog in that fight in the presidential race, but I mean that in a much bigger context that transcends the two candidates and transcends that particular election. It was at the very beginning of COVID when I was CEO of Texas Public Policy Foundation that I turned to my executive team and I said, guys, the other side is undermining election integrity. And that's exactly what happened. They undermined it. I mean, I think they've been undermining it for several years, but they really accelerated those efforts, taking advantage of COVID as we know. I don't have to go through those details because we know it. This is the point. If we continue to get public opinion surveys in which both people left of center and people right of center are telling us they don't trust the American election process, that speaks to more than just the elections, right? It speaks to a belief in America, a belief that people can disagree and still trust the outcome of elections. That's why Heritage put that election integrity scorecard together. And I will end my answer here, Newt, by saying, I think it is the most important research study that Heritage has published at least in the last 10 years. No denigrating the other research studies. And the reason is this, it speaks to the moment we're in, but it also becomes a lever for grassroots people, for groups on the ground, to go to their state legislators, to go to their chief election officers and show them, this is an unbiased study, it is impeccably researched, impervious to attacks, and say, this is how our state election laws have to be fixed. I could not be more proud of the work that Hans and our team did. I was looking at that study. You rank Nevada 50th and Hawaii 51st. When you think about it, and I've got a very good friend, Adam Laxalt, running for the U.S. Senate in Nevada, that's a very formidable mountain to climb if the other team has the 50th most corrupt system of elections in the country. Don't you find in that sense that helping empower local people to understand that they've got to elect state legislators and governors who are dedicated to cleaning up the mess. No, that's exactly right. In fact, I had an acquaintance of mine who does some public policy work in Hawaii email me and said, Kevin, we're really grateful for this scorecard, but are you telling me that elections in Washington, D.C. are more transparent than they are in Hawaii? I said, yes, that's what I'm telling you, because they have much better voter identification requirements, which, of course, is a huge criterion in that. But I'll say this, too, Newt, is related, your home state of Georgia. I had a lot of friends call me and say, man, I can't believe Georgia got rated as highly as it did. I said, well, keep in mind, this study reflects legislation that was passed. And those laws were really good. They weren't perfect, but they were really good. But also keep in mind, it does not grade implementation. In other words, that's where some other pressure needs to be exerted, not just in Georgia, but in every state and in the nation's capital. It's interesting because Georgia, I think, had we had the current laws in 2020, we would have had two U.S. senators and carried the state for president. I have zero doubt that the way that the consent decree that was signed with Stacey Abrams and the whole way in which, particularly Fulton County, the biggest county in the state, just totally abused the election process was more than the margin by which Biden won and more than the margin by which the two Senate races were decided. So what you're doing and what Hans is doing is really, really important. I do have to ask you, by the way, since you founded 
a K through 12 Catholic school and you served as president of Wyoming Catholic College. What are your thoughts on the whole issue of critical race theory and the kind of left-wing indoctrination that's happening in schools today? Well, in addition to elections and the January 6th commission, the advent of critical race theory is something that just gives me a very high level of concern. I'm going to answer this as an academic and one whose academic expertise, as it were, is in African-American history. You know, back when I was publishing history, I was publishing on slavery, the slave trade, African-American culture. This is the point. I think when most Americans hear the phrase critical race theory, what they hear in their goodwill, because most Americans are very goodwill toward others, is, oh, this is America coming to grips with some ugly chapters in our history. And it's really important that we encourage our fellow Americans to understand that's not what critical race theory is. In fact, it's the opposite. What critical race theory does is define us by an immutable characteristic, and that's the color of our skin. And then worse, assign, categorize people into oppressors are the oppressed. And if you think about it as a fellow historian, Newt, I literally get chills. Sometimes I'm even brought to tears every time that I read or listen to or watch Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. We have accomplished the charge that he gave us to judge one another by the content of our character, not the color of our skin. And what critical race theory does is undermine that, starting with pre-K kids, where you're telling a black child that they cannot be friends with a white child. Those two children, these four-year-olds, know that is not true. And I think that even you know, more than any academic analysis I could give you ought to condemn it. I'm really grateful that Americans realized this is not America, and we're making tremendous progress at rooting this out. But it does raise larger questions about some of the curricula that are in our schools. The problem is not just with critical race theory, it's with the indoctrination generally, especially in government-funded schools. We work with 1776 Action, which is sort of the countervailing effort against the 1619 Project. And they did a great job of getting over a 1,000 people in Loudoun County and having the then-candidate, Glenn Youngkin, come. And I think it was a revelation to Youngkin that this many people were this concerned about what was happening in their schools. And I think it changed the whole course of the campaign. And I have a hunch that next year we're going to see a very similar kind of effort underway to really have a direct chance to vote on whether or not you want this country to brainwash your child in an almost Chinese Maoist-like model. It's true. If someone says, well, what do we do about it? We can't stop with just ending the instruction of critical race theory in our schools. We have to understand that critical race theories being in our curricula is indicative of a much greater sickness in government-funded schools. And it is that parents and their children are not in charge of their education. Think of the arrogance of teacher union leaders and saying, they, not parents, are in charge of kids. This is the point. We have to harness the energy of hundreds of thousands of parents around this country and finally get universal school choice in every state. I can tell you, just to use a Texas example, six million school-aged children in Texas, there basically is no school choice in Texas. A little bit of public school choice, a few charter schools, but there are some antiquated state laws in Texas of all places against school choice. 
this, this critical race theory problem has broken the dam. And I'm really looking forward to the next legislative session in Texas in 2023, in which Heritage will play a role with our friends at Texas Public Policy and American Federation for Children and finally securing universal private school choice. One of the things which I think looms over us is the rise of China. What do you see as Heritage's role in helping Americans understand the scale of the challenge and what we need to do in order to be successful in a world where the Chinese communists clearly would like to replace us and be the hegemonic power? I think that there is no other organization that has written as extensively, spoken as extensively about the threat that China poses. There are others not criticizing them, but I will make a slight self-criticism about heritage. I think because our scholars are so smart and they just take for granted that China is this threat, that a lot of times what we do as academics is lead with the nuance of how a certain policy might need to be slightly different. And that's 100% true. And what we have to learn to do, especially on China, is invert that. That is to say, don't bury the lead. The lead is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, being a son of the Cold War and literally being worried when I was 10 years old that the Soviets were going to take over the United States. China is a much graver threat to the United States today than the Soviet Union was during my childhood in the 70s and 80s. And Heritage has to say that over and over and over. That's the first statement. And then, of course, we can backfill with all of the very correct nuance and policy prescriptions. But Americans need to hear Heritage proclaiming that from the rooftops. I think that's very important. And I think we first have to win the argument that this is the central crisis of our time. And when the public comes to believe that, they will then set the standard for the politicians. The question is not one of educating the politicians, it's one of educating the American people. As you know, I think we discussed it one time, there's a remarkable book by Tom Evans called The Education of Ronald Reagan, which is about his time at General Electric. And in those years, Reagan learned that if you could move the public, then the leadership has to follow. And so Reagan actually never negotiated directly with Congress. Reagan tried to arouse the American people, as he once put it, his job was to shine the light on the American people so they would then turn up the heat on Congress. And that was kind of his base negotiating model. I think China is going to require that kind of approach from our side in a big way. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Play. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. We've had a project which is called the American Majority Project, which I think in many ways provides some material that's useful to Heritage and to you. Our real mission here is to try to find issues that are sufficiently popular that you could build a long-term stable governing majority and you could isolate the left. Margaret Thatcher did this in the 70s and 80s and did it so well that socialism was so totally discredited that no openly left-wing leader has won in Great Britain in 40 years. I think we are, because of the hard work of Biden and Harris and Schumer and Pelosi, I think we may be about to have a similar opportunity to define the left. And we found that if you took free market capitalism versus big government socialism, it's actually about an 82 to 18 issue, but you have to use all three words. Socialism by itself is not as frightening to younger Americans, but if you say the implementing mechanism is big government, they just peel off of it instantaneously because they know that it doesn't work. And I think we have an opportunity to develop a shared agenda, in a sense, with you. And I think that it's really important, and one of the things I'm going to really hope that you will provide great leadership at Heritage for, we've got to convince the Republicans that if they do win— and I think they will, that in 23, their job should be 90% focused on America and only 10% partisan. There's a real danger they're going to get sucked into a whole series of sort of get-even partisan hearings that are fine, but they need to be a tiny piece of the much bigger question of how is America going to solve its problems and move into a 21st century where we really can compete head-on with China and win that competition. And I think your coming out of the States is really important because there are so many good ideas currently. It's almost like there are two Americas. There's a government union, left-wing dominated, high-tax, slow-growth, mediocre part of the country, California and New York being case studies. And then there are all these states of which Texas is a great leader, Florida is a great leader, where you see all these people. I think the top what, 10 or 15 states in employment are all Republican? There's something there, and I'm hoping that Heritage will become a sort of a conveyor belt of good solutions from the states into Washington, and then together we may be able to convince the Republicans in the House and Senate that looking at those things, learning about those things, 
having hearings that are real to produce legislation that is real is vastly more important than playing gotcha with a bunch of left-wing kooks. I could not have said it better, and I really do mean that. So two points reacting to that great statement. The first is your metaphor of heritage being a conveyor belt of state-based reforms in D.C. That's the playbook. You know, people internally and externally who haven't gotten to know me well yet say, Kevin, you know, what's your agenda? I said, guys, I'm an adopted Texan. I grew up on the Gulf Coast. I'm an open book. I will tell you exactly what my plan is. You just outlined it with the conveyor belt concept. And just to hang on that just a moment before moving on to the second point, you look at the updated census data that was released yesterday. It underscores the point you made. One of the things that distinguishes the level of freedom that Americans have always enjoyed since before we were even a country is our geographical mobility. And it's something that smart social scientists pay attention to. And so Americans, in other words, will always tell you what they're thinking about politics with their feet, with their moving trucks. And where are they moving? Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. This is not a coincidence. But the second point, I really want to emphasize this because you've mentioned it twice, and I want people to understand how seriously I agree with you. The 90-10 comment about 90% on policy reform and 10% on partisanship. I've got no interest in heritage doing anything partisan ever. Now, the way we will talk about that is we might be aggressive on conservative things. So my aggressive statement, for example, on the January 6th commission prompted several friends to call me and say, oh, does that mean that heritage is going to endorse a bunch of investigations whenever the Republicans are in power? I said, heck no. I want them to be focused on what the American people need from them, which is policy reform. That's what heritage is going to be articulating. Occasionally, we will call a spade a spade on some of the more partisan political things. But as you said, those are not just in the back seat; They're in the trunk of the car. The car needs to be driving toward a prosperous, free America that gets us to a higher level of self-governance. No, I think that's exactly right. And I should say, by the way, that on our show page, we're going to have a link to the Heritage Foundation because people do have an opportunity to be involved. As you know, you have over a half million Americans already engaged with Heritage and with Heritage Action. So we're going to give people an opportunity to be on the ride with you, if you will, because I think it's going to be a very exciting ride. And I think you're going to provide a very aggressive, positive approach that is going to have a very substantial impact on America over the next 10 or 15 years. So I personally think that Heritage is in great hands under your leadership. I just say to our listeners, if you're a conservative and you're not a member of the Heritage Foundation, you might take a look at the link we have so you can learn more about Heritage and you may decide you want to be part of this great adventure that Kevin is going to be engaged in. And so I want to thank you, Kevin, for taking time to share with us what you're going to be doing. And I'm confident we're going to want to check in regularly and learn more as Heritage evolves under your leadership. Well, Newt, thanks for having me. Thanks for all of the great service that you and your wife have given to this country. Heritage looks forward to working with you and anyone, and uh, happy to join you anytime to talk about whatever's on your mind. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Kevin Roberts. You can learn more about the Heritage Foundation on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, 
I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.